Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Planted Podcast where every week we talk about the power of plant-based living and how to optimise your health and fitness around this lifestyle. So this week I'm really excited to welcome onto the podcast Dr. Jimmy Hugh, MD. Now Dr. Jimmy is a naturopathic doctor specialising in changing his patient, well helping his patients to bridge the gap between Western medicine and other alternatives to in short, help them live the best and fullest life they can. So, Dr. Jimmy, welcome onto the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. How are you me. doing today? I'm doing great. Fabulous. So I just wanted to kick off really by um, just talking a little bit more about, um, you know, I mentioned in the intro the alternatives that you use to help your clients live the fullest and uh, best life or clients or patients. Uh, could you just go into a bit more detail with that and how that looks? Sure, Absolutely. So a natural, I'm not sure if uh, in the UK how prevalent is naturopathic medicine, uh, but you definitely see a huge trend here in North America, uh, which where I'm based in Toronto. Uh, there is a steady trend of people seeking alternative approaches to their health, and naturopath naturopathic medicine being one of them. Um, so back to the question, um, how I approach sort of my patient's health and how to help them improve their health and becoming a better version of themselves is um, because I come from a medical background, I was trained in medicine, conventional medicine, and I'm very soon, I, when I started practicing medicine, I soon find myself pushing a lot of medication and getting patients on medication, but mm. they don't, I never see them come off medication so this eventually led me to seek an alternative way to help them improve their health by prevention, by preventing disease from happening before it occurs. So I'm really much believe in that approach. So this is kind of where it, I sort of diverted away from conventional medicine to looking for alternative ways to improve health. And this is where it brought me to naturopathic medicine. I was practicing in Ireland um, before coming back to Canada wow. and when I came back to Canada, I went on to do another degree in naturopathic medicine to sort of take the benefits of both, both from conventional side as well as alternative. I don't wow. know if that answers your question. No, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, I, in terms of is it, is it as popular in the UK? I'm not really sure the answer to that question. It's definitely a lot of pr practitioners over here, but there's a real need, obviously, to um, for your kind of work because the system, as I'm sure is the same in Canada and Ireland, is very much set up to to help people with uh, you know very acute illnesses. But nowadays, right. most people suffer from chronic illnesses or you know cr chronic issues, don't they? So just looking for um, support with lifestyle and, and lifestyle changes that we often find and the feedback I get certainly from from my clients when they go and visit the GP or they get medical help is that they, they haven't looked at the lifestyle or any factors that could be causing a disease or illness and, and not rather like you've said just prescribing medicine uh, almost it seems at the drop of a hat or in the first instance. That's right and even now I see um, like if you look into the media and news uh, there's sort of people like to distinguish sort of the conventional medicine from the alternatives as if there were two separate entities. Right. But uh, like my, my view of medicine is that it is a whole, it is one. 
and people should embrace all the good from different aspects, from different fields, and sort of merge them to, because ultimately their end goal is the same, is to help the patient's health. Mm-hmm. So why would you um, sort of push one away and adopt just one aspect of that medicine where you can use both? Absolutely. So in terms of plant-based living, I know also you have, uh, you're an athlete yourself and you're uh, a bodybuilder. You've won um, a few competitions as well, right? Um, how does... uh, no, 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 I'm more of an amateur bodybuilder, I would say. Okay, but you're, you're still, <laughs> a bo- still a bodybuilder. I mean, I've seen your picture on Instagram. It looked very impressive. <laughs> um, so you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're in fitness yourself. You appreciate the, you know, the benefits of a healthy body um, and you're also... Yes a yes. plant-based advocate. Um, would you be able to go into a bit more details about uh, you know, how, how that came about and what really pushed you in that direction? Yeah, sure. Um, so far, I've really started becoming fully plant-based uh, three years ago uh, in 2017-ish. Uh, but I really started toying around the concept back in 2015, which is where I really started uh, naturopathic medicine. And once when I graduated in 2017, uh, I start to implement a lot of these plant based approaches on my patients and on myself. And it's sort of conflicted with because back then I was still eating small amounts of meat here and there. Uh, But when I push a full plant based diet on my patient, I see a contradiction in my own health approaches. So I wanted to sort of practice what I preach and preach what I practice. And that's, that's when I went completely plant-based and whole foods. Love it. Now, just to be clear, I think uh, it's important, important for uh, people listening to this podcast is that when we talk about plant-based and vegan diets, uh, there's a very huge distinction between uh, healthy vegan and plant-based versus unhealthy vegan diets. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's very important to highlight that because as it becomes more accessible, plant-based living, veganism, whatever label you want to use, there's more and more products that are being released into the market. And with that, you know, the desire for them to be tastier and more, more authentic, more like meat, there is more processing, more ingredients that are added into there. So it's, it is a real danger, isn't it? And I do worry about the future of veganism, plant-based living that, it is almost yeah. going to become, you know, where it's almost forgotten that it, it can be a healthy way of living if you're focusing, obviously, on on more whole foods and um, being careful of, you know, optimizing, not eating as many processed foods. Absolutely, and the real reason why whole food plant based approach to eating is uh, optimal for one's health is because, and also because, like when I started researching the literature the more I got into it, the more sort of um, inevitable evidence, the overwhelming evidence that it, it can improve health is too much to ignore yeah, for someone absolutely. to ignore, especially if someone in the medical field. That's so, so refreshing to hear, hear you say this. <laughs> um, so if you could just go into a bit more detail uh, as to, I know you mentioned that you implemented this yourself, you saw a great deal of benefit yourself. Yes, uh, and yes. then with your patients. So firstly, what you saw yourself and how that translated to your patients and maybe any specific diseases or illnesses that they were contending with that you may have helped. Prevent. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Brilliant. So uh, I just, I should prep 
office by a very big meat eater <laughs> before I went plant-based. Um, I was also, I like to think I was brainwashed to by you know, just like everyone else by the media and what we see on, uh, on magazines and, uh, influencer who are promoting eating a lot of meat, especially for athletes, right? Um, because if you want to be a bodybuilder, the concept of eating a lot of protein is it will get you the muscles that you want to mm -hmm. achieve the physique that you want to look. So back then, um, I was still eating quite a lot of meat and, and also supplementing. And that's the other thing. Um, the idea of you need to supplement with a lot of proteins and all these, uh, sports enhancers to get you the physique that you wanted. So I was, uh, very much using supplements and eating a lot of meat in my, um, in my sort of meal patterns. Uh, but at the same time, I wasn't, uh, you know, sort of junk food eating or eating a lot of processing. A lot of the foods that I eat were still very whole foods. Uh, it's just there was a lot of me. I, I love steak. Why should I used to love steak? Mm. Uh, a lot of red meat, a lot of poultry, that kind of thing. But after a while, you know, the more research I do and sort of reading into the plant-based nutrition, and uh, the more I realized, you know, protein, protein is sort of, overrated I would say and uh, uh, I wanted to prove myself wrong almost so I started implementing more of a plant-based approach and eventually got rid of meat entirely uh, but I was still supplementing but switching from sort of a whey-based supplement protein supplement to a more plant-based soy or head protein or pea protein supplement and I, I see the results is no difference Mm. And I don't see I don't see a decrease in my performance. I don't see a decrease in strength. That's just personal anecdote. But the more I research into sports, plant-based nutrition, the more I see that you know the the evidence is there. There's absolutely no difference, and people are actually healthier in the long run. And how that translates to my how I help my patient is because I I see a lot of I should say the patient population that I see is a lot of chronic disease, people suffering from diabetes, um, chronic cardiovascular disease, like high, people with high blood pressure, people with obesity. Um, so I, I use, I think a plant-based dominant approach is the best way as the foundations for these patients. So that's why I try to, um, this is the kind of approach I try to push first before adding anything else. In naturopathic medicine, we use a lot of, we tend to uh, use supplements and herbal medicine on top of what we do, but I think lifestyle and uh, diet should be the foundation of all therapies. Amazing. So if you've got a patient, for example, who is yeah. you know, on the borderline of diabetes type two or has, has been diagnosed with diabetes type two, and you're mm. kind of presented with this patient who's maybe been eating meat for the past however many years, is, doesn't really know what plant-based living is um, and you're trying to convince them that this way of living could, could really help them. How does that conversation go? I usually start off very, uh, I like to ease my patients in because I know it is a huge transition. It is a huge uh, lifestyle change. Yeah. So I like to start by showing them the evidence uh, of 
out there of all the different dietary patterns that have been shown to reduce diabetes and the only one that's been shown to reduce the risk as well as reverse type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes is a plant whole food plant-based diet and then we start we continue the conversation from there by uh, talking to them about how to implement such a diet showing them what sort of food groups they need to focus on in order to reach there now uh, sort of also addressing the uh, sort of the intensity they need to be doing in that for people with already diagnosed type 2 diabetes or even suffering from end organ damage like sort of a neuropathy getting uh, 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 vision problems or kidney issues these are the kind of patients that need a aggr more aggressive approach. So these are the patients that I'm more strict with in terms of eliminating all the from animal products as well as reducing their fat content from their food or even going no oil, no fat. Yeah. Uh, and then from, I also have a spectrum of patients who are sort of on the borderline, who are just pre-diabetic or just recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, and these are the patients I kind of ease them in. I, I sort of still allow them to eat animal product that they still like once in a while. And when I say once in a while, I mean like one or two times max a week. <laughs> uh, but their majority of the diet needs to be predominantly plant-based. Amazing. So in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in, in Canada, but when um, people are diagnosed as pre-diabetic or with diabetes, they, they get a lot of information about, you know, cutting out sugars, cutting out carbohydrates, but it's very rare that you do hear anything about saturated fat and how, what role that plays. Um, is that, that conversation that you would have with uh, one of your patients and, and how would that be framed in terms of, you know, focus on plant-based living and explaining the benefits oh yeah for for sure like usually depending on the condition that the patient has for so back to type 2 diabetes again uh, i usually start by explaining explaining to them how the disease process starts uh, so i think it's important for patients or the public to understand how how the problem starts in the first place and currently the uh the most uh, prevalent research or concept of the development of type 2 diabetes is the concept of too much fat buildup in the cells or in the muscle cells and what we call intramyocellular fat accumulation. Um, and this is the concept where when you have fat buildup in the cells, it prevents the insulin from working on the cells itself. So we develop people with type 2 diabetes, they develop a condition known as insulin resistance. So I explained that to them. And also, this leads us to what causes the fat to build up in the cell. And the main cause is the fat coming from your diet. Yeah. So once they understand that, they're more uh, able to sort of appreciate that how much their diet can impact their health. So, this, so once, because in order for someone to change, it's important for them to understand what they're doing, what sort of change they're implementing, right? Absolutely. Um, also divert them away from the concept that carbs are bad. Uh, because you, back in the days, even in, 
traditional diets that are recommended by diabetic association, they still focus on reducing carbs, mm-hmm. which is okay in, in a sense, uh, because you're minimizing the aftermath, but you're, but they're not treating the cure. They're, they're not treating the root cause, if you will, right? The root cause is what's causing the cells to break down to malfunction. And the, and the cause of that is not carbohydrate. The cause of that is the fat. Absolutely. It's, it's really, really amazing to, to hear you say that, um, you know, because it does get very frustrating when, and obviously I'm not a medical professional myself, I'm a fitness coach, but, um, you know, looking at the research and speaking to people like yourself and being educated by people yourself, like yourself, it's very frustrating when there is such a focus on, you know, cutting out carbs and cutting out sugars and, and on a similar viewpoint, if a right. client is wanting to lose weight and, you know, they're saying, shall I do low carb? And, and obviously yeah. cutting yeah. out a whole food group, it's going to essentially right. put them in, in the calorie deficit. So yes, they're going to lose weight. Yes, they're going to have a benefit, but yes. at what cost long term? That's right. And, and back to the concept of carbs, uh, it's also important for the public and the patients to understand there's a variety of carbohydrates Mm, absolutely. In, in terms of comp, just simply complex carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates, right? Whereas we want to emphasize more complex, where it also has a lot of fiber. Um, whereas simple carbs, you're just elevating your blood sugar without a, without any benefit to your health. Absolutely. Thank you for your thoughts on that. So, if we you were to just look back on on your career currently, knowing what you uh, know now. Would you have done anything different? You know, would you have taken a different route um, in terms of being able to help your patients live as optimally as possible? You know, with the information that you now have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wish I had known about this much earlier in my medical career. Understanding um, the medical field is, you know, when they go through medical school. Uh, when they go through residency, they spend a lot of time on their uh, on their career itself, oh. and they sort of lack the time to do anything else, if you will. So there's a huge field of nutrition that tends to be neglected in the medical profession, even in medical school. There's a very little nutrition education in medical education itself. So doctors are not very well versed in nutrition and how to optimize health with nutrition. So my, my sort of my journey towards uh, this approach is uh, self-learning, really. Mm-hmm. You have to take the time out of your day to learn about yourself. Otherwise, um, just listening to other people is, is not enough. You have to go out of your way to learn about this information yourself and being able to put that into practice. Absolutely. And again, I think there is a danger, obviously not to discredit anything that, that doctors do. It's a hugely difficult task to have to know everything that you have to know. But yeah, yeah, as you yeah. say, in terms of uh, the nutrition knowledge, maybe it isn't quite as much as what, what people would think. And, the, you know, your GP is seen as a very respected figure and almost like GP has the answer to everything when you go in right. there. So right. people go in and take advice or maybe expecting to get more answers than, than what they, the current system is training the GP to be able to provide them so would you feel that depending on obviously the 
the disease or illness, the GP would always be the best route to go through, or would people be better off, you know, seeking out a nutrition professional, or even in some cases, you know, a very well qualified, very well educated fitness professional, almost depending on if medical is something like um, overcoming diabetes type two or you know obesity is something linked to that yeah absolutely i think with the access to information in our generation in our society nowadays with the inter- access to the internet with the access to a slew of information online if you go if you're able to go about the right resources people can learn a lot for themselves yeah and i think this is a society we kind of live in uh, rather th- we need the public to be more educated, to be more informed for themselves mm-hmm. before they go and see uh, their health pre- practitioner or their primary care provider or going to see a fitness professional is to have a sort of basic idea in the background of their mind to know what kind of health lifestyle they want to seek or where they want to achieve and have that in mind to have that, to bring that discussion up with, the profession health or fitness professional and to have that discussion to have that dialogue and it is important for the, from the professional side to be able to be to keep an open mind if you will um mm. to to be receptive of the information that the public is learning for themselves and be able to dis- help them distinguish what is right and what is wrong Absolutely. rather than you know you know rather than having them come to you and sort of sort of drop everything on your lap and uh, asking you to sort of create a whole new plan for them and sort of take that whole, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I guess it's just about taking responsibility, I suppose, isn't it, in, in, in the way we live. And I guess it's, it's difficult for governments to issue sort of generic advice. And here we have a thing called the, the Eat Well Plate where it recommends food you should eat and food you shouldn't eat. Oh, that's think, right, yes. Yeah, it's, it's agreed amongst uh, medical and nutritional professionals that it's maybe not the most um, useful of, of tools in terms yeah. of being really specific. I know in Canada, uh, was it last year, about a year and a half ago, yours was... Yeah, it was last year, 2019, we came up with the new Canada Food Guide. Yeah, which is mostly plant-based, isn't it? It is very mostly plant-based, yeah. Which is uh, which fascinating, really. Um, but the point I was, was making is that, um, yeah, it's obviously very generic advice, and it's very difficult to issue that on a population level isn't it so if people were to be a bit more proactive in you know trying to learn a bit more about how to optimize the health and like you say then working with a professional in whatever field to, to come to a conclusion i think that that's what it's all about isn't it? education making sure that you're being mindful of the decisions you make every day rather than it being out of control or unstructured that's right and that this comes to the concept of uh public policy and how understanding how public policy and Food policy are made. Uh, so how guidelines made under the government. Mm. The thing with how these food guides come out is that there's just a lot of politics behind it and a lot of sort of uh, industry influence on how these guides are created. And, and now understanding that uh, the British Medical Association or the British Dietetic Association, as well as the Dietitians of Canada um, or Health Canada and how they go about generating this new food guide is that they want to be as evidence-based as possible. But because there's so much um, in industry influence as government and political influence involved, 
to shape the food guide uh, to meet everyone's sort of satisfaction to not to uh, um, how, is, how should I say they, they want to make everyone happy yeah. they want to make the industry happy at the same time they want to make the people healthy and sometimes that doesn't always uh, come together right so that's why we see a different we see the food guide change over the years and sometimes the food groups that gets incorporated, sometimes food groups that gets taken out. Um, for example, so this past year in 2019, when the new food guide came out, there was a lot of controversy about how meat is uh, disproportionately um, recognized. And obviously you have a huge pushback from the meat industry and the dairy industry and how they don't like the new food guide. But at the same time, we see a lot of um, adoption of more evidence, which is, a, which is great for the people and for the health of the population. Absolutely. So where would you say in the, in the next five years, given that Canada's Eat Well plate is now primarily plant-based, given all the changes that we're seeing in the industry um, and you know, many more people opting towards plant-based living, where do you see it going in the next five years in terms of you know, medical professionals becoming more aware of this way of living and, and the benefits of eating less animal products ultimately? I think people are becoming more educated for themselves. I think people, um, there's, there's definitely a trend towards plant-based eating, which is great for the environment, for the animals, absolutely, and for the health of the people. And as companies are starting to pick up as well, as you can see, uh, more plant-based companies are popping up. Uh, and I think in the short term, this is great for people who are transitioning, but, mm. but we should always look at the longer, sort of the long-term picture as where that is heading and i think the more as more ed people are more becoming more educated for themselves as med medical professionals are seeing the benefits of this uh new plant-based approach they you know this trend will only increase for the better Absolutely. um yeah for and also uh, like i said not to uh forget about the long-term goal yeah it is is to becoming healthier in the long run, to live longer, right? To the idea of living longer rather than just living in the moment. Living more consciously and, you know, as you say, in terms of uh, the animals as well and thinking about our surroundings. There's it, it, many different uh, reasons, isn't there, really? So I think it's difficult yes. to deny yes. this big change that is happening, like you say, is only increasing. Yeah, yeah. So just to kind of wrap things up, I'd love to um, hear firstly about your favorite plant-based meal. And then if you could just uh -huh. give me uh, three, three tips or tricks to someone who's kind of interested, uh, you know, in, in this way of living and wants to just, just make this final push and take a step over the line. Sure. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite plant-based meal is the easiest one. And that is to usually my breakfast, uh, which consists of, Oats, uh, oh, yeah. oats. I knew it. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in, in the oats, I would add usually a mixture of frozen berries, uh, okay. blueberries, blackberries, raspberries uh, to sweeten it up. I also add a banana for some natural sweetness. And I also pop, throw in some hemp hearts, a few tablespoons of hemp hearts, as well as 
two tablespoons of ground flax seeds for some natural omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, and that, that's pretty wholesome in itself. Fabulous. And in terms of, just to ask another question before you uh, go into your three tips, sure, uh, in yeah. terms of when you're prepping for a bodybuilding show, um, would you have sort of a baseline of calories that you look for? Do you track your calories? How does that work in terms of um, your prep on a plant-based level? Oh, yeah. yeah. So for athletes, uh, it's important to know what you intake and what you expand. Mm-hmm. So tracking is absolutely essential for athletes, in my opinion. Um, in terms of bulk, sort of bulking up or cutting for, for a season, uh, those calorie need to be adjusted and the macronutrient need to be adjusted as well. Uh, I'm not sure if you're looking for details or go for it, whatever, whatever you can share with us. Oh yeah. So, and when you're bulking, right. All, so there's a difference between, I, I like to differentiate between whole food, mm-hmm. uh, eating versus supplementing. Uh, I, I do recognize that. Uh, if you're a plant-based eater or if you're vegan, sometimes it's very hard to reach your caloric goals mm. uh, by just eating whole foods. So supplementing is absolutely okay if you want to reach a certain athletic goal. Um, so overall, the bulking period, uh, uh, the pers- I'll just go with percentages in terms of macronutrients. Uh, typically, I'm looking for a higher carb uh, percentage around 60 to 70 percent of carbohydrates uh, with around 15 percent of macronutrient coming from protein and the rest of the caloric percentage fats which which is about 20 25 20 to 25 percent coming from fats mm-hmm. so that's sort of the bulking um, up macro portions in terms of calories that that depends on your body weight right absolutely it, it yeah. really does depend on body weight metabolism doesn't it? i mean my, myself from my own experience at one point i was eating to try and add weight yeah a yeah. thousand calories and this was mostly coming from whole foods and that is right. a lot of potatoes it is, so yeah it on. is a lot of food when you're consuming whole food and try to reach the calorie goals that you want to reach yeah uh, typically uh, when you want to bulk up, you're, you want to eat a little bit more than your sort of maintenance calories, right? Usually like around 20% more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to cut, then you're eating around 15% less calories than you than your normal sort of calorie goals. Yeah. And then it's just about obviously establishing what that maintenance is. So it can, it can be quite a period of trial and error, can't it? But you found that it's perfectly... Yeah. It's absolutely trial and error, yeah. Yeah, but it's perfectly feasible to, to do this on a plant-based lifestyle, obviously. And we've seen from, from your Instagram that you've had great success with, um, yeah, yeah, with your shows. So just another advocate, not that we needed anymore, that it's absolutely possible with, uh, with plants and that it shouldn't hold you back if your goals are purely fitness related but dr jimmy if we could just hear yeah. your three top chip top chips top t- <laughs> if you've got any chips you'd like to recommend but uh, also top tips for uh you know optimizing your health and plant-based living or, or just making that transition i'll leave it quite open sure i think tip number one is aside from all the macronutrients that we get bombarded with uh, sort of carbohydrates proteins and fats one important group 
I would say on its own to not to neglect and to incorporate into your diet would be fiber. Mm. So that, that would be my number one point to always eat fiber. A typical average North American eats only about 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day. And I think everyone should aim for at least 30 grams to 40 grams of fiber a day. So that's my number one tip. Uh, and obviously, foods that have, have a lot of fiber are plant foods, are foods like um, nuts and seeds, foods like vegetables, fruits, as well as legumes and beans and pulses. These are, so these are the foods that are highest, have the highest amount of fiber content. If you eat meat, there's no fiber. No. Right? Uh, second tip. Second tip would be when for people who are transitioning um, to a plant-based diet, try to eat a ver ver wide variety of foods. Um, try not to restrict yourself to a small amount of food groups. Uh, obviously, there we all have preferences in, ter in terms of taste buds and what kind of food we like and what kind of food we don't like. But when you're trying to when you eat fashion to food plant-based, it's important to eat a variety of foods so you don't, at the end of the day, you don't miss the nutrients that you need, mm -hmm. right? People who become sort of transitioning like to think that, oh, if the food says vegan, then it must be healthy, but that's not true. You want to eat a variety of foods with different, lots of different colors and lots of different textures, and that's why I also, and from a naturopathic perspective, we also recommend people to eat the rainbow. So eat a rainbow of colors, right? Yeah. Yeah, eating a variety is my second tip. Uh, and last tip I would say for uh, overall is that when you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, make sure you eat enough. So a lot of people who transition to eating plant-based, they don't eat enough. They eat, they eat. They think they eat enough, but at the end of the day, the calorie content, the calorie density, is just not enough to meet their daily daily needs. Yeah, it's a very common thing, that isn't it? People, oh, I'm low in energy. I didn't have this, but you know, that that's just right. That's generally, right. a bit more volume than people are used to, right? That's right. And uh, and just to add to that, two two very important things uh, vegans should be wary of is the B12 and vitamin D. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So do you, would you recommend to uh, obviously supplement the uh, B12, but uh, in, in this country it's recommended in the darker months to also supplement with uh, vitamin D as well? Would yeah, uh, I, I think if you're just starting out, uh, if, you're not, if you don't want to think about going out of your way to find what kind of food sources have B12, mm. it, it's good to supplement with a, with a small amount of B12 a day. Usually a typical supplement dose is about 1,000 micrograms, and but even that is more than adequate. Amazing. And not, not very difficult to do, is it? You know, just one small pill. and Yeah, absolutely. It's very easy to do. Yeah, you can do it in a spray. You can do it in a sublingual form. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jimmy. Honestly, it's been amazing to have you on and to hear your knowledge and experiences. Um, but just to give people an idea of where they might be able to find you on social media or any other platforms that you wanted to uh, let us know, obviously we'll link it in the show notes as well at the bottom when the podcast goes out. Yeah. 
yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, with the handle at Dr. Who Jimmy. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, uh, my website, uh, Jimmy.com. You can find me there. Uh, but it's great to thank you for having me on your podcast. Not at great. all. Thank you so Look much. Look forward to another one. Yeah, hopefully we'll get another one scheduled in very soon. <laughs> all right, take care, Dr. Jimmy. All right, thanks very much.